Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, Friday was St. Patrick's Day. Amen. So just a, a few things for you to think about. What do you get when you find a four-leaf clover right in the middle of a poison ivy patch? You get a rash of good luck. Why should you never lend money to a leprechaun? Because they're always a little short when it comes time to paying you back. What do you call an Irishman bouncing off the walls? Ricochet. Rick-o-shea. Why are leprechauns hard to get along with? Because they're always short-tempered. What job are leprechauns great at? Short-order cooks. Come on, you guys got to catch on to this. Why should you never iron four-leaf clovers? You don't want to press your luck, exactly. What do you call environmentally friendly leprechauns? We cyclers. You know you're going to repeat that one tomorrow. And lastly, what do you get when leprechauns have a conversation? You get a whole lot of small talk. What's an Irish spider? Patty Longlegger. Oh, boy. Should have left that one alone. Amen. This morning I want to talk about the cross plus Christ equals the cure. Amen? We're living in a very troubled and and just turbulent times. Violence, crime, drug abuse, murder, they're all running rampant. We have sickness and and disease and, and killer viruses that are epidemic. Our economy has just been battered with inflation. Go to the grocery store, prices are sky high on just about everything. And even our churches, so many are following the world instead of the word. So what do we do in troubled times? Well, we need to follow the remedy that God gives us in his word. We need to get back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? The cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's skip down to verse 10. The Apostle Paul, under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, the inspiration, he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, verse 10. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptize any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, the first thing I want us to see this morning is that the cross is where we find help. Amen? The cross is where we find help. The church at Corinth was a very, very troubled church. It was troubled not only in how it functioned as a whole, but also troubled in its members individually, as they were just full of drama. Amen? So we need to understand that in the Bible, God doesn't candy coat anything. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't try to, you know, make things look better than they are. He put this letter to this church at Corinth. This was a dysfunctional church. Amen? They were, they were messed up. The church was full of divisions. As we read here, some wanted to follow Paul. Some, you know, wanted to po- follow Apollos. And, and others wanted to follow Cephas or, or Peter, the apostle. And they were also divided, if you read through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, both letters, you'll read that they were divided on uh, marriage issues, spiritual gifts, and, and the resurrection itself. It was a very dysfunctional church. So through his Holy Spirit, God directs the Apostle Paul to write this letter of instruction, this, this letter of doctrine, to help remedy all of their troubles, to help remedy all of the issues they were having, to help remedy these divisions that were separating them. And what is God's cure for troubled times? We see Paul wrote it right here in verses 17 and 18. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Did you catch that? 
This is the cure for troubled times. This is the cure for the trouble in your life. The cross and its Christ. Plain and simple. The cross and its immeasurable cost can cure any need that we have. Whether it's the church house, the schoolhouse, the courthouse, the White House, or even my house or your house, it can cure whatever ails us. Amen. It is the cure for whatever our need may be. Now let's go back up to verse 11 real quick. Let's look a little bit closer at this ailing church. It says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Their problem was that they had become followers of men instead of followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? They became followers of men. Many thriving churches have closed in the past few years. They've closed their doors because the congregation chose to follow a pastor or a, a youth leader or a, a deacon in the church instead of keeping their eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Amen? We have to be very, very careful with that. Deacons, youth leaders, even pastors, we will let you down. Amen? I pray and ask God to, to help me not do it, but I'm still wrapped in the flesh, and I may let you down one day. We have to understand that. That's why I don't want your eyes fixed on me. They need to be fixed on Jesus Christ. Amen? Plain and simple. We have to be careful not to lift people up on pedestals. Only Jesus Christ has earned, only he deserves that elevated position. And we need to understand that this is his church. Amen? It's not ours, it's not mine, it's not the, the body of officers in this church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. It was bought and paid for by his own precious blood. So we see here that, that many in this church at Corinth, they fell into that snare of following men. Those that followed Apollos, they, they were the ones that preferred a more you know, polished style of preaching. Then it says that some, did, some wanted to follow Cephas or, or Peter. Those were the ones, they were, they were the traditionalists. They chose to, to follow someone who physically walked with Jesus himself. And then we also read that, that some chose to follow Christ. And it sounds like those were the ones that were on the right path, but as you continue to read through this letter... Dig in a little deeper, you're going to see that these were actually exclusionists. They were the ones who separated themselves. They, they excluded themselves from all the others in the church. They pointed their nose to the sky, boasting constantly about their liberty in Jesus Christ. So we see this church was really messed up. So how did Paul handle this situation? How did he handle this ailing church? Well, first thing he did, if we skip down to verse 13, we see that he removed himself from the spotlight. Verse 13, he said, Is Christ divided? 
was Paul, he's talking about himself. He says, was I crucified for you? Or were you baptized in my name, in Paul's name? He removed himself from the spotlight. And secondly, what he did, he made it clear that he was not the center of attention. Amen? Most importantly, skip down to verse 17. What did he do? He took his finger from himself and he pointed them where? To the cross. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul was saying, listen, I'm merely the messenger. And I was called, I was sent to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. And we need to understand this. Say it over and over, the church is not this building. The church is the body of believers. So if a church is messed up, We need to understand it means that it's people. It's individual members are what? Messed up, right? It's that simple. And they need to get back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is is telling us here in this letter. The message of the cross is for all. It's for all of us. It's for our needs. It's for our own good. It's the cure for whatever ails us. It's where we find help in our time of need. Amen? Skip over to Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Skip down to verse 15. The account of Christ on trial. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, who did he want to please? The crowd, not God. Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, he released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had him scourged to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed Jesus with purple, and they twisted and rammed a crown of thorns on his head. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed, and they spat upon him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off of him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Listen to what happened next. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. So I want you to see something in this passage, a passage you've probably read many times, heard many times, especially around Easter. What we see here is as they led Jesus to Golgotha's hill, as they they led him to Calvary to be crucified, he was beaten so badly that he couldn't even carry his own cross as was customary for crucifixion. The one getting crucified would be required to carry their own cross to Golgotha's hill. 
But they had beaten Christ so bad that he couldn't carry his own cross. And in verse 21, we're introduced to a man named Simon. The Bible tells us that he is from Cyrene and he has two sons, Rufus and Alexander. Now, Cyrene is in northern Africa. And Simon and his two sons, Rufus and Alexander, they had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the what? The Passover. They had come from northern Africa all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, we also read here that the Roman soldiers had to compel Simon to carry Jesus' cross for him. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they had to compel him? What we need to understand is once Simon touch the cross, the cross being an instrument of death. The very moment he laid one finger on that cross, he was be considered what? Unclean and unfit and could no longer participate in the Passover. The whole reason he traveled all the way to Jerusalem was to participate in the, fast, uh, the Passover, to celebrate the Passover. But the moment he laid one finger on that cross, he could no longer do it. So the Bible tells us that these Roman soldiers had to compel him to do it. Now here's my point in, in sharing this story with you. That even Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, in his humanity, he needed what? He needed help. Amen? In his humanity, he needed help. Yesterday, in our mob meeting, Men of the Bible, you know, I shared a little devotional, you know, too proud to ask. Men, we're guilty of that, aren't we? And one thing I pointed was the fact that Jesus himself, every day, he went out away from everybody else, into solitude. And what did he do? He prayed. He prayed and asked his heavenly Father for wisdom, for guidance, for strength to get through that day. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more so do we? Amen? Even Jesus in his humanity needed help. Too often we, we try to get through our difficult times on our own and in our own strength. We need to understand that's not God's desire and that is not his plan for us. He wants us to look to the cross of Christ. Look to that cross and look upon its Christ and seek his help. Amen? Jesus knows what we are struggling with. He knows what we are going through. He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it's like to hit rock bottom. He knows what it feels like to be all alone. He knows what it's like to be hurt by others, to be mocked, to be betrayed, to be stabbed in the back. He knows what it means to carry heavy burdens. He knows. Amen. Jesus knows this morning. What it is that's weighing you down. Amen? And he wants you to know that he is your Simon.
Amen. He wants you to know that he is your Simon. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants to carry your burdens for you. Amen. He wants to carry our burdens for us. He wants you to know that you are not alone in your struggles. 1 Peter 5, 7. The Bible tells us to, to cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares deeply for us. Cast all of your past failures. Cast all of your current uh, uh, burdens. All of your shame. All of your sin. Cast them all upon him. Place all of your faith and all of your trust in him. Let him nail it to his cross and stamp it paid in full. That's what he wants to do for us. Amen. Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Probably a verse you've skimmed over and never really realized it. Listen to what it says. Again, the Apostle Paul, he wrote the book of Romans under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. Verse 13, he said, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Many scholars, me being among them, believe that this is the same Rufus that we just read about in Mark chapter 15. Rufus, the son of who? Simon, the very one who carried the cross of Christ to Golgotha's hill. How wonderful is that old rugged cross? How amazing is it to come and find mercy and grace at its very foot? The power of the cross. Not only is the cross where we go to find, you know, help, but it's also where we go to find healing. Amen? Verse 18, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10, our original text. Look at verse 18 one more time. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are what? Perishing. We need to understand exactly what God is talking about here because all of us are perishing, right? Every, every single day, every second that goes by, every single one of us is one step closer to the grave. That's just a reality of life. God's not talking about every single person. He said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What he's talking about, this word perishing, is not referring to physical death. It's referring to a much more urgent need in our life, and that is spiritual death. 
Amen? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means you are unsaved and that you are in grave danger of spiritual death. Spiritual death is when your soul is cast into hell. The eternal lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever for eternity. That is spiritual death. They are perishing, the Bible says here, because they are still in their sins. Their sins have never been dealt with. Perishing because they have never come to Jesus Christ. Unless the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sins, then we stand forever guilty before a holy God. Amen? John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus said, You search the Scriptures, for in them, in the Scriptures, in the Bible, you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, the Scriptures. They testify of Jesus. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Perishing because they will not come to Christ in faith. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. We need to understand that there are many religious people. There are many spiritual people. There are many good people that are perishing on their way to hell today. Religion, spirituality, good deeds, they will never lead us to eternal life. Amen? Eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For they being ignorant, unknowing, not wanting to know God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness. How? By religion, by spirituality, by trying to be a good person. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. God wants us to understand that we can follow ritual after ritual, tradition after tradition, ceremony after ceremony. We can be baptized a thousand times. But none of these things will keep us from perishing, spiritually dying. John 1, Gospel of John, verses 12 and 13. Listen to what it says here. But as many as received him, received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 
to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Amen. Only the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross can free us from that bondage of sin. Only coming to Christ in faith can keep us from perishing. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Plain and simple. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. He being just and righteous and holy and without sin, He suffered once for us. He died on Calvary's cross for us, the unjust. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 53, one of the greatest chapters if you ever want to read about Christ's redemption. Verse 5. But Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Amen? By his stripes, we are healed. Let's go back to our original text. 1 Corinthians 1, skip down to verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Here the Apostle Paul He's calling out all the doubters. He first signals the wise. That are, that's those who think they're, they're too educated to believe the Bible. They believe they're above God's word. They're, they're smarter than God. Then he talks about the scribes. He's talking about those who rely on religion or, or, or spirituality. And then he talks about the disputers. Those who doubt that the Bible is the very word of God. Amen? Look what he says in verse 20. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, But it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God is trying to tell us that all the world's data, 
All the world's information cannot explain away the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of their arguments can deny the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. None of their theories can negate the power of the cross of Christ and the hundreds of thousands of changed lives that have knelt down before it. Amen. Plain and simple. Then he leaves us with verse 18. He said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So that leaves us with just one question, one eternal question. What will you do with the cross and its Christ?